Thank you for listening to our Truth in Life podcast. This season, we will survey the Bible's unfolding story of redemption. From Genesis to Revelation, every book points to Christ and edifies His church. For more information on our church, visit ChristTheWord.com. All right, like I said, we're going to be going over Judges this morning. Uh, we're going to be starting in Judges. We're going to be going over Ruth along with uh, the Samuels and the Kings. So we've got a lot to cover in these next six weeks. Um, as you talked about with Matt, for the past six, week, six classes, we're continuing uh, on with the history of God's people. So that's, that's the goal. We're, we're, we're trying uh, to, to see the story, the redemption story of God's people. The Israelites at this point have settled in the land of Canaan as promised to Abraham uh, some 500 plus years earlier. So here's a kind of a, an overall timeline of, of the, the story here, the Old Testament. Uh, the, there's a QR code on your outline too. You can pull the, the timelines up. Okay. Uh, they were, so the, God's people, they were led out of slavery uh, by God's power and his might. They have seen countless miracles at this point. Uh, they were miraculously sustained. They continued to grumble and be an obstinate people, though. So they, that's where we're at here in, in this story. Um, and they continued to search for satisfaction outside of God, outside of the one who can truly satisfy. Um, we will see this as kind of a constant theme throughout the book of Judges. So here's kind of the cycle that we, that we see in Judges. Um, first, you'll see the, the Israelites serving the Lord, and then they'll fall into the idolatry of the people that are kind of living among them or living around them uh, because they didn't drive out these inhabitants of the land. They didn't, they didn't get rid of the pagan people that they were surrounded by fully. Um, and then Israel's enslaved, and then Israel is so oppressed that they cry out to God. Uh, and then God raises up a judge, and they turn to him, and they're, they're delivered. So that's kind of the, the, the constant cycle here that we see in Judges. There's a, there's a lot of uh, just this repetitive uh, type of thing going on. So it covers a, a period of about 330 years, uh, from the death of Joshua to the rise of Samuel uh, the prophet. Uh, the period right after God's people have just entered to, into the land of Canaan, as I was saying. Uh, and although Israel had conquered the whole land of Canaan at this point, uh, there's, still, there's still the enemy heathen nations there, as, as I, I said already, and I will say it again, because that is a big way in which they disobeyed God. They did not drive out the inhabitants of the land that, were, that God gave them to, gave them to them. Um, the author of Judges is an, isn't exactly known. It's thought to be Samuel. Um, because of the phrase repeated four times uh, throughout the closing chapters, in those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So by that, by that phrase, in those days there were no kings. So he was writing this after uh, the Judges happened. So it, it's thought to be Samuel. That's our best educated guess. Uh, we're not outrightly told. So um, The book of Judges... Um, there's a lot of attention, as I said, given to the kind of the repeated backslides 
uh, that Israel went through, it would, it would read a, or, or lead a casual reader of the Bible to, to think that Israel was almost constantly in a bad relationship with God. Um, this isn't the case, though. They, they, if you see this map, you'll see that the oppression sent by God came from certain areas. So at, at points when there was uh, war and oppression, there was actually, in other areas of the land, there was peace, and there was at least outward faith in God. So that's good to keep in mind as we go through Judges as well. So... These judges, they were raised up to become deliverers of Israel. So what was a judge in the Old Testament? Are they like the judges we know of today, you think? Kind of like, like her? <laughs> no, probably not. No, they were, they were not merely civil magistrates. They, they didn't just administer justice and, and smack down their gavel. They... These judges were different even than the ones set up by uh, Moses uh, in, um, at, at the advice of his father Jethro. Um, the judges of the Old Testament, they were deliverers. This is just kind of a silly depiction of, of the warriors, kind of giving them their characteristics there. But these are more like what the judges were in Israel. They were, they were warriors. Um, they were called by God to do great things. Uh, there's seats up here if there's no seats back here, guys. Um, and if I need to speak up, just let me know. Okay. Um, they were called by God to do great and miraculous things to redeem God's people. Uh, many of the judges are said to be endued with the Spirit of God. Uh, though these judges were given spiritual powers, it's evident throughout the book that um, these supernatural gifts weren't always accompanied by the right use of these gifts. But we know that all these judges were commissioned by God to deliver the Israelites from oppression, uh, from their enemies, usually by war, and then they ruled over uh, the area uh, in, in the time of peace. Uh, the number of judges, there's a wide range of opinions on the exact number of judges. Um, we don't and, and the definition of judge. The important thing to recognize uh, is that in the period known as the judges, a number of men and actually one woman uh, presented as heroes of Israel. So some are said to be endued with the Holy Spirit to achieve great exploits such as Othniel, Gideon, Jephthah, and Samson. And some go down in history as people of great faith as outlined in Hebrews 11. We see that uh, from Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah. And some were just men uh, God used to deliver God's people. They didn't seem to have a genuine faith in God, but trusted uh, in their own power and might. Um, and the judges continued to rule after the end of their wars. None established a hereditary uh, rule. Uh, there was no dynasty and no family succession. So God's way of dealing with, the, with Israel is summed up here in chapter 2. I'm, I'm going to read this for you guys. It says, Then the Lord raised up judges who delivered them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but they played the prostitute with other gods and bowed down to them. They turned quickly from their way in which the fathers walked. In obeying the commandments of the Lord, they did not do so. And when the Lord raised up judges for them, 
The Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to, their, to pity by their groaning because of those who oppressed them and harassed them. And it came to pass when the judge was dead that they reverted and behaved more corruptly than their fathers by following other gods to serve them and, to, and bow down to them. They did not cease from their own doings nor from their stubborn ways. So that's, that's a humbling section. I think he, the tendency could be to disassociate with the book of Judges, maybe because of all the crazy stories um, and the disobedience we read about. Um, we say, I, I'd never bow down to it, an idol. I'd never sleep with a prostitute. I'd never kill my brothers to get ahead. Those people were wicked. I'm not, I'm not that bad. But the last verse, it says, they did not cease from doing from their own doings, nor from their stubborn ways. So how often do we do what we want to do and forsake the commands of God? So I think we, we need to look at this story, this, this, this book of Judges, as we are the Israelites. We have the same need of the promised Savior. And with that in mind, let's, let's look at the content of the book. At first glance, the book is... It seems kind of disorderly, um, not in chronological order. Uh, the Holy Spirit's concern for the book isn't primarily historical, uh, but spiritual. So we're going to be looking at the book in three parts. Uh, part one is more of an introduction of what, what the times, what's talked about throughout the book. It tells us that the Israelites quickly turned away from seeking, uh, seeking the commandments of God. A big failure, as I've already mentioned, is the Israelites did not drive out the inhabitants of the land. In part two, uh, chap middle of chapter three to about uh, verse uh, or chapter sixteen thirty one, we will see the pattern of the Israelites falling away from God, God oppressing them through multiple different ways. Uh, we see their desperation. We see them crying out to God, and we see God sending a deliverer. Um, and then we see a period of obedience to God. And then part three gives us a few stories just about how bad the times are as a whole. Um, we get to see what's going on in the different Israelite tribes. Uh, the tribe of Benjamin goes so deep into sin that um, they're almost completely annihilated from uh, the tribes. We uh, see a, common, a few common themes throughout the book of Judges. Uh, we first see that the, our righteous God will not let sin go unpunished. That's very evident in this book. We also see that God's mercy and grace, uh, we see his mercy and grace as he listens to the supplications and prayers of his people, uh, even when his people aren't, don't have faith and their faith is weak. We also see the total inability to keep God's law and the need for a Savior. So this this book, like, like the whole Bible, points us to our need for a Savior. All right, getting into part one. At the beginning of the book, we see Caleb who, trying to lead the Israelites uh, in holiness, trying to inquire of God of what to do. Uh, so at the start, they had good intentions. Uh, as I said, they're, they're in the promised land, but there's still work that needs to be done in order to get the inhabitants, as I said, out of the land. We see the tribe of Judah being chosen as the first to go up, 
uh, and eventually capture the city of Jerusalem. Uh, this tribe and this place uh, will be very significant as we'll talk about going forward. The tribe of Judah will be the tribe from which the prophesied Savior comes uh, from through the line of David, traced all the way back to Abraham. We see God's providence, and we see God keeping his promises to his people, even throughout the book of Judges, even when they're rejecting him. We see all things working for the good of those who love him. It goes on to tell of a few other groups that obey the Lord in driving out uh, the inhabitants, but we also quickly see the disobedience uh, of the tribe of Benjamin and the other tribes in not obeying the word of God to drive out these inhabitants. So at this point, Israel, they haven't really put two and two together. They have not realized that after all their obedience or their disobedience, all their wanderings, all their lack of faith in God, that to enjoy the blessings of God, the Israelites, they must be faithful to him. Uh, the promises of the blessing from in, in the covenant with Abraham and the obligations of faithfulness and obedience from Israel uh, is the central core by which the history of God should be looked at. So, uh, and it's clear from Judges that Israel as a nation fails to obey the Lord. God is jealous. He knew that keeping the inhabitants of the land in there, that we would, we would serve, or the Israelites would serve their gods. He would, they would serve and do what the people around them are doing. And um, they would forsake him, and that's what happened. So, Okay, so after we were told that the majority of the promised land is still inhabited by uh, heathens, that Israelites were lazy and did not do the work to drive them out, uh, God sends an angel to rebuke them. Um, and he says, here's the, the rebuke. He says, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land. You shall break down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? So now I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your side, and their gods shall be a snare to you. As soon as the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the people of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept. So this, uh, this leads to a true sorrowful repentance. Excuse me. Um, they, were, they were sorrowful, they were weeping after this and um, but the heathen people still remained and uh, and they didn't still didn't do the work and at the end of this this part the first part we have the death of Joshua um, and all the elders that served with him uh, and after the all the elders died the people turned against God and the uh, spiritual decline started to once again occur and then six verses after the Israelites wept in response to the rebuke by the angel Lord, it, it says, And all the generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. So the next generation, the generation of the sons and daughters who were, were told by, their fathers were told, 
directly by the angel of the Lord to obey. They didn't know about God. God wasn't being talked about by their parents, by their fathers. His goodness and his greatness were not being proclaimed to the younger generations. The Israelites were, were, were kind of bamboozled by the lust of the flesh, by, by worshiping false gods. Uh, the false gods, that were, they weren't asking him to do, them to do anything hard. Uh, they, they will, and they will allow all kinds of self-indulgences. So that sounds a lot easier than following a God who, who wants you to obey his commands. So they, they want the easy route. And at the end of this, this section, the Israelites again start to make treaties with the inhabitants of the land or put them into forced labor instead of fully driving them out. So what we see, it goes from they were, they were living with them or around them, and then they were actually, you know, it, it got worse and worse. They, they continued to grow deeper and deeper involved with these, these people. All right. Getting into part two. As I said, this is kind of the cycle here that, that, uh, of judges that we see. It's characterized by waves of oppression followed by delivery. Um, the next part is the majority of the book. Um, the children, it's, it's all about really the judges and the cycle of judges. So I'm going to be talking a lot about all the judges. There's a lot of information, a lot of great stories. Uh, a lot of stories I, I won't talk about. We just don't have time. Uh, it is good to know the details and stories of the book, so I, I recommend that you read it yourself and know the stories. But our goal here is to understand themes and how it fits into God's redemption story. We want to understand how God has worked and will work all things together for the good of those who love him from the beginning of time. Um, and it's, it's good to know by each book how that how each book fits into the redemption story. So that's our goal here. Um, with that being said, we're going to get into the judges. The first judge uh, of Israel is Othniel. Uh, it says at the time of Othniel that God left the nations of the Philistines, the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Sidonians, and the Hivites in order to test Israel. It says in Judges 3-4, uh, that they were for the testing of Israel to know whether Israel would obey the commandments of the Lord, which he commanded their fathers by the hands of Moses. So the Israelites lived among these people, and, and as we said, they started to intermix. They started to take uh, their daughters as their wives. They started to give their daughters as wives to them. And then they started to serve their gods. So although God told the Israelites to drive out the inhabitants, they again did not listen. But God still uses this in order to try to bring the Israelites back to him. I think it's, a, it's an amazing picture of God's providential workings here. So at the time of the first judge, Othniel, God had sold the Israelites into the hands of the king of Mesopotamia. And Othniel was sent by God to deliver the Israelites. Othniel was Caleb's younger brother and his son-in-law, um, he was a good example of, of what a judge and deliverer, deliverer should be. He was raised up by the Lord. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, he was a good soldier, and he led Israel in success um, over the war of Mesopotamia. Okay. Um, and then he led them for a little while, and then the downward spiral began. 
Um, and again, Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And then we get to the next judge, Ehud. Ehud. So although he was raised up by the Lord, he was not to be set, or not said to be endued by the Holy Spirit or to have a personal relationship with him. Uh, of the tri he was of the tribe of Benjamin. He's left-handed. Um, that's a big thing about the Benjamites. Uh, this allows him to surprise King Eglon, so he, I guess instead of using his right hand to get his knife, he used his left hand and shoved it into this fat king's belly and killed him. So he surprised this guy, and that's how he, he uh, rallied his army to victory. Um, and then after, after his victory, the land was undisturbed for 80 years. So we, we, we see a lot of disobedience, but we also see God being good to his people and giving 80 years of peace, which is really a whole generation. Um, so during this time, the sons of the Lord, what did they do? They, they began to do evil in the sight of the Lord. That's, you know, the cycle begins again. Uh, it says that the Lord then sold, sold them into the hand of Jabin, the king of Canaan. I think... It's, it's very interesting that it, it says that God sold them into the hand of this wicked king. Every result, every judgment, every, every, every scheme is orchestrated by God. And, and it's just, the Bible makes it very clear in that. We're then told of, sorry, I get behind in my PowerPoint. We're then told of uh, the third judge, Shamgar, not much is told about him except that he had a unique choice of weapon, an ox goad, uh, and he kills 600 Philistines with it. So that's a cool fact there. Um, so then the Lord then sold the Israelites again to the Canaanites, and we are seeing God using the people who he told the Israelites to destroy in order to punish his people. Um, and for 20 years, Israel suffered painfully uh, under Jabin's general Sisera. And after uh, the oppression, the Israelites cry out to God, and the Lord inspires Deborah, the judge, the prophetess. She was the first, uh, Deborah and Barak, Barak was her, kind of her main man. Uh, she was the first prophet and prophetess uh, since Moses. First and only female ever to exercise authority in Israel. Uh, and with the help of Barak, she helps to free the Israelites from oppression. Uh, the story here is she tells Barak to go and take 10,000 men towards Canaanites because God will give them into his hands. This was a direct, uh, she, this was told to her and she, by God, and she, then she told Barak. Uh, Barak does not go do it right away. He was kind of a coward. Uh, he hesitates and says, if you go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And Deborah then says that she will go with him, uh, but he will not get honor uh, on this journey. So that's kind of an interesting thing that she said. Uh, she said, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hands of a woman. And the Lord actually uses another woman uh, named Jael. Uh, you would think that she would actually use Deborah being that she was the judge, but she used jail. Uh, he used jail uh, and her false, false hospitality to get close enough. She actually jammed a tent peg into this general's uh, head. So she, she did some strong work for God. Uh, 
And it is actually Barak who's mentioned in the Hebrews chapter of faith. It's just, it's kind of an interesting thing. And then 40 years of peace ensued. And then what happened next? The, the children did evil in the sight of the Lord. Just, you know, the cycle. And then we get uh, Gideon. So the Lord uses Midianites uh, as the taskmasters uh, to bring Israel down on her knees uh, with repeated invasions. Gideon here. Uh, God responds by first sending an unnamed prophet that delivers a message of their need for obedience. This also kind of acts as a preparing of the way for Gideon. Um, he was a mighty man of valor, and he was a, of the tribe of Manasseh. Uh, and then the angel of the Lord, he visits Gideon. Although Gideon has a genuine faith outlined in Hebrews, he, is still very, he still has a story that is intermingled with unbelief. He, he's visited by angel of the Lord who tells him that he will have success, but he still needs he needs confirmation in, in, in his, his success. So uh, I'm sure we probably know he, he asked God for a couple of signs uh, and he tested God with a fleece on the ground and dew. Um, and God, each time God was gracious to him and gave him what he asked. So God will answer our prayers. I mean, it's pretty, pretty cool there. We know the story uh, also about the army uh, and their drinking techniques. So we had the, the, the army went down to the, to the pond or wherever they got their, their water. They, and he was like, whoever drinks with their hands, uh, 300 men ended up doing it. They will be the, the people that will go up against the, the enemies. And because God did not want the vast army of the Israelites to think that it was their power that defeated the, the enemies, but it was, it was truly God. So, At the end of this, at the end of his, uh, his battle exploits, he's offered uh, the hereditary throne by the Israelites. So the Israelites really, really are seeking just a king on earth instead of seeking the king God in heaven. Uh, they, they're looking for someone to lead them. Uh, but he actually shows modesty and humility by refusing on the grounds that the Lord is the true king. Uh, and then quickly after this act of modesty, uh, he says, I, I can't rule over you, but I, I got an idea. Give me all the gold from the spoil, and I'll, I'll, make a, I'll melt it down, and I'll make an ephod. And, and then he placed it into the city, and, and they actually uh, they played the harlot with it. So they were worshiping this golden ephod that that Gideon made. So that's not good. That's not, it went from good to not good. So you just kind of not a, a true, all the way faith in God. But then we see that Gideon is mentioned in Hebrews. So it, it's an encouraging thing to us. I mean, we're not going to do right all the time, but we, we need to strive to follow God and do what he wants us to do. All right, and then the fruit of Gideon, Abimelech. Uh, his son didn't have the same modesty as his father. Uh, he tries to seize power. He kills 70 of his half-brothers um, to try to gain power in Israel. 
And then Abimelech rules in Shechem for three years, and he, he then dies a humiliating death. For he, he was repaid. Uh, he was a, an oppressor from within, so God used Abimelech to oppress from within, and he was not a deliverer or a judge. And then we are, it mentions uh, Jola, Tola, and Jair. After Abimelech, two other judges, uh, they're briefly mentioned, and this leads to some uh, period of calm in the nation. And then what happens? The people turn away from God. They do evil in the sight of the Lord. You're getting it. You're getting it. Good. Um, yeah, they, they did bad. The, they did evil in the sight of the Lord. They forsook the Lord and did not serve him. And his anger once again burned, and he sent the Philistines um, from the southwest. So he sent them down here. So that's what's happening there. Sorry, I, I had these maps up every time. I just forget to go to them. I think they're, it's good to know where, you know, what area is being oppressed um, at certain times. So. Okay. At this time, the, the children of Israel, they're crying out to God again uh, because of the oppression. The, the Lord actually refuses to help this time. Um, and the oppression continues, and the cries grow more desperate. The people then show, show real contrition. Uh, they destroy their idols. They cease to practice idolatry and return to a serious worship of God. And then Jephthah is sent uh, to deliver God's people. Jephthah was a mighty warrior. We're going back. Jephthah was a mighty warrior. Uh, he was a son of a prostitute. Uh, so he was actually cast away by his half-brothers early on uh, until, they, until they needed him because they knew he was a good warrior. So they were, the battle lines were drawn, and the Ammonites uh, at Gilead and the Israelites at Mizpah, and their brothers were like, man, we need a, a serious man who's going to lead us in war here. So they went and got their half-brother who... Ended up being commander-in-chief. He wins a decisive victory over the Ammonites. Uh, we're then told that Jephthah makes a rash vow to the Lord and his continuing uh, exploits. He says to God that he, if he gives him victory in the battle, that he will sacrifice the first thing that comes out the doors to meet him and uh, when he returns home in peace. And this rash vow, it causes his daughter. Uh, his daughter was the first thing that he saw, and causes her to be a sacrifice to God. So, do not make rash vows. That is, that's our lesson there. Uh, Ibzan, Elon, and Abdon following the death of Jephthah. These three men judge Israel. It's unknown whether these men uh, judged uh, together uh, with other judges or in different areas. Um, and f but following the death of Abdon, it's said that, uh, again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Uh, Israel continually fails to see the connection between their faithfulness to God uh, and their well-being as a nation. Uh, God then uses the Philistines to punish his people. Uh, Israel faces 40 years of affliction, which is the longest period throughout the whole time of the judges. So that's... 
That's a long time. Uh, during this period, the Lord raises up a man who will begin to deliver uh, Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. And this man is Samson, probably pretty well known. Uh, he was raised up as a Nazarite uh, from the womb after his parents uh, were visited by an angel of God, angel of the Lord. Um, he is consecrated to the Lord for no razor, sh no razor shall come upon his head. Um, for the, and it was said that the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. So this was, this was the angel's words to his parents. Samson uh, had God-given strength. Uh, and he single-handedly performs exploits among the Philistine army. So it wasn't that he was necessarily a great leader. He was just kind of a, he was a freak, kind of like the Hulk, just going around and killing people. Um, although he was very strong, he was very weak. Uh, his weaknesses being his self-indulgence, uh, his love of women. Uh, in this respect, I th he, he is a living symbol of the spiritual deterioration of Israel. Uh, his lust and love for forbidden women um, leads to his eventual downfall. He is captured, reveals the secret of his strength, and then he is paraded around by Philistines. Uh, and he is eventually taken to the temple of Dagon, which is the god of the Philistines. Uh, his strength returns, and then he, he tears down the building and, and kills 3,000 Philistines. And it was said that Samson is more successful in his death than in his life. So that was Samson. And getting into part three, this section is more of the examples of corruption in Israel. Uh, it illustrates the extent to which the Israelites have strayed and transgressed the Ten Commandments uh, and the Book of the Covenant. So the evils include theft, idolatry, immorality, homosexuality, uh, and mass abduction, all kind of stemming from their initial disobedience of not driving out the inhabitants uh, from the land and doing what they do. Uh, this verse uh, in Judges 17.6 gives us a good indication of where the Israelites are towards the end of Judges. It says, in those days, there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. This verse, this verse sets us up uh, what will be happening next, getting into 1 Samuel. Uh, the people will want a king. Uh, like the surrounding nations have a king. They will completely reject God as their king. Uh, but God is gracious, and we'll see that he does give, him, give them a king. Everyone is doing what was right in their own eyes. Um, at this point, truth is blemished, and, and whatever they're, they're feeling is true. Whatever they're wanting to do is, is their truth. It's wickedness, it's deception, it's pride. It's, it's uh, thinking we know better than God, and it sounds familiar to what we're dealing with in our day and age here. So now we get into some stories of Micah. He's an Ephraimite who makes an ephod or a priestly garment to wear. So he was, he was not a Levite. He should not be wearing priestly garments or, or doing priestly things. Um, so he, he wears this so he might determine the will of God. He sets up idols and establishes one of his sons as priests. 
And a little while later, a little little while later, a Levite uh, he finds a Levite on the road, and he, he's invited to stay with Micah and be uh, their family priest. So Micah he then foolishly concludes that the presence of this priest will ensure the Lord's blessing upon him. So that's how often they're thinking they are at this point. And then we we see the Benjamites. Uh, the depravity of the nation, it, it's so bad that it turns out the tribes of Israel are they're forced to confront the tribe of Benjamin in battle, and it, which, I, which I said it, it causes almost the near annihilation of this tribe. So what happens is a, a Levite and his concubine are seeking refuge on a journey. Yes, a Levite has a concubine. They're not supposed to have those either. They're supposed to have one wife, as outlined in the law. Um, these people, uh, so they were on this journey and they were trying to seek refuge. So the Levite and his concubine are going down the road. They, go, they can either go to a foreign land or to a city of Benjamin. And they think, yeah, let's go to the city of Benjamin because they're Israelites. They'll help us out. Uh, they end up meeting an Ephraimite in the land of Benjamin uh, who takes them to, into his house. So this isn't even a, a Benjamite that's helping them. Um, and then a group of wicked Benjamites come by the man's house and try to have sexual relations with this man, the Levite man. Uh, and the Ephraimite host decides the best decision would be to throw his virgin daughter and the Levite's concubine to these men. Uh, and they're brutalized to the point of death. So that, that is uh, the story that is told. And then the story is then heard throughout the other throughout the Israelite land uh, as the morning Levite he sends a cut up piece of the concubine to the 12 tribes and tells them of the events that happened the Israelites then respond by going to civil war with the Benjamites which eventually leads to their near extinction so we can see things are going well for the Israelites here uh, the book of Judges it it documents the weakness and waywardness of the Israelites during the period between the death of Joshua and the establishment of the monarchy. Preparation is made for Israel to have a king and the repeated reference to the fact that in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. So I talked about um, the angel of the Lord. I'm going to go into more application because we don't have time. I'm... Okay, so how can we apply this book to our lives? First, we see clearly that the human heart is prone to wander. It's evident from this book. Um, we easily wander. We are just like them. And, and you say we don't do all those nasty things, like I said, but we do. We are sinners. We're saved by grace. Yes, but we're, we are sinners. Um, and there's a, there's a potential prodigal in the heart of every believer. So what does that mean for us? What do we do? Since our heart are prone to wander, how do we combat our flesh? We need to be careful uh, what and who we surround ourselves with uh, because we will act how they act, as shown in Judges. They acted how 
the inhabitants acted eventually. They, they maybe had good intentions initially in maybe trying to keep their lives or save the inhabitants' lives or use them for their advantage or what have you, but they eventually fell to the same sins that, um, the Israelites eventually fell to the same sins that the, the Canaanites were doing without remorse. So we need to be careful about what and who we surround ourselves with. We will learn and do what we do the things that we most often take in. We're, we're sponges. Uh, whatever we soak up, that's who we will be. So if, if we soak up more sports and we soak up God, then we will change accordingly and continue to please our flesh. If we're on our phone more than we're in our word, I hate to say it, it's sometimes me, but that's, it's going to show in our lives. So we need to, we need to you know, change. Because our human hearts are prone to wander, and we know this, we also need to be diligent and cognizant of our, our wandering flock. Judges give, gives us a clear picture of what happens when we do not live out the charge found in Deuteronomy 6. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. This is a, it's, it's one of my favorite passages. It's convicting. It's, in, it's encouraging. It tells us what we need to do every day. Uh, it's really not hard. We make it hard because we're sinners. Um, every time I read it and then look back on my week, I just think, man, I failed again. I'm so selfish. Um, I know I often neglect my duties to help the little wandering human hearts that God has put in my charge. Um, but I know also that God is faithful. Um, and if we're not doing this, we need to do it. We need to open our mouths. And we need to talk about all the good that God has done for our family. Um, then we can expect that God will do good in our family. We're also expected to teach our children and the people under our care just about God, about the things of God. If we're not doing this, it could be a sign either of our wandering or our, our lack of, of we, we, we just, we need to do this. It's our job. Uh, we see the result here in Judges of what happens when this is not done diligently. A generation will arise. It's a promise. A generation will arise that does not know the Lord. So with this, I'm preaching to myself just as much as I am to you guys. Um, and I know all, we can all use improvement in this area. Another application point is God pursues and restores his backslidden people. Um, there were seven periods of oppression throughout Judges, seven cries to God, and seven deliveries. Uh, as it says in Hebrews, those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. We see this clearly portrayed in Judges. God sent oppressors to his people that they would turn to him and that they would realize their need of him. Affliction is good for us. 
God wants us to cry out to him and be in total dependence on him, not on total dependence in our own strength. If you're going through a hard time, do not be discouraged, but know that God wants you to cry out to him. Like Gideon and his 300 men, we need to be weakened sometimes uh, in order that God's power will be magnified and that we wholly turn to him. This book also points out, points us to the need for a savior. It's pretty obvious that we cannot obey the law with just ourselves. We have no way of keeping it in our, in our sinful human nature. As we know from Romans, the law brings the knowledge of sin uh, and only drastic action by an intermediary, drastic transformation, transformation from within uh, can solve the problem. The Son of God provides the answer and the Spirit of God along with that. Um, Romans 8, 1 through 4 says, there, there's thou, Therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has, been, has made me free from the law of sin and death. For lo, what the law could not do in that it is weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. We have been made free from the law of sin and death by the power of Jesus Christ. The righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled through Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. So we have a great book, a great gift in the book of Judges. We see what happens when people disobey or only partially obey. We, when we do what we like instead of doing what God commands, it will lead to our disaster. That is a promise. Problems will arise like they did for the Israelites if everyone does what is right in their own eyes. Let this be a warning to us. Let us truly heed the warnings of Scripture um, so we can more readily see the glory of God in our lives. All right. Sam, do you mind praying for us? Thank you for listening to Truth and Life. If you enjoyed the series, please subscribe. And remember, from Genesis to Revelation, Every book is truth to live by.